Hi, this is Christina Kerr from the Castaway Kitchen, and you're listening to the eBlog Talk Podcast. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to eBlog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave eBlog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Hey, food bloggers, welcome to Eat Blog Talk, sponsored by Rank IQ. I'm your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 271. Today, Christina is going to talk to us about creating recipes for people with chronic illnesses and food allergies. Christina Kerp is a certified nutritional therapy practitioner, former restaurant chef, and autoimmune warrior. After hitting rock bottom with her own health, she took to food to get her life back. This birthed her popular food and wellness site, The Castaway Kitchen, and both of her cookbooks, Made Whole and Made Simple. She lives in Hawaii with her family, and you can often find her dancing salsa or at the beach. Oh my gosh, Christina. Hawaii, dancing, and beach, please, yes, sign me up. That sounds all amazing. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to have a chat with you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Before we dig into it, we all want to hear what your fun fact is, though. So I'm like a left-handed middle child, which I always feel like is funny because I like typical rebel. Um, and um, I think that it comes out in a lot of my personality <laughs> traits. <laughs> That's funny. So left-handed and middle child. <laughs> mm-hmm. Black sheep to the core. Yes, I love it. I love that you embrace it. Go with that. Um, okay, we were chatting a little bit before we recorded, and I'm really excited about this because I feel like this is a topic that we don't talk about enough and it kind of falls into our laps a lot of the time it did for me I have my own journey with having to create recipes based around a food allergy unexpectedly because my husband um like seriously overnight just had an intolerance to yeast extract and gluten and it's been a few years now so it was like this huge process where we went through like he didn't know what was going on and then we finally nailed the culprits and then I had to start creating food that was not containing yeast and do you know how many sauces and things from the grocery store contain yeast a lot oh everything yeah Yeah. so some of us are kind of thrown into worlds like this um like I was without even knowing it was coming but sometimes we can start dabbling in it because we want to maybe um, reach more people or just expand our blogs a little bit. So super valuable topic. So where do you want to start with this conversation? I'm just going to kind of let you take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, you know, when you are cooking or creating recipes and uh, resources for people with food intolerances, it's important to be well informed because we are essentially the subject matter experts. Someone's coming to us for something. And so let's say if you label a recipe that's going to be for autoimmune protocol or specific carbohydrate diet or a GAPS diet appropriate, someone who's coming to your blog to find this recipe might isn't going to be the expert. Although they are looking for it, they might have just found about it or their doctor might have just told them to follow this. So it is important to do your research and and kind of find the the authorities on these blogs and follow the parameters because there's, you know, very specific rules, uh, uh, you know, for very certain healing protocols. And I think that's a good place to start. And the benefit of 
let's say, going by these protocols is that your recipes will be easier to find. If if you want people to find your recipes because they are gluten-free or dairy-free or nightshade-free or, you know, specific carbohydrate or gaps or low FODMAP, you want to then use these, you know, these tags in your SEO so they come up in the searches. Not only will your recipes be easier to find, but you'll be more trustworthy source because I can imagine how awful that would be if you were putting out content and you were kind of unsure about a certain diet or protocol. And then, oh my gosh, like, what if you provided a recipe that had gluten in it or something that someone couldn't eat? How awful would that be? Right. You don't want to make people sick or feel bad. And so it is important to know the rules. And so when you start, I think it's a good place to, um, you know, be, you know, educate yourself around the rules and parameters of whatever diet or protocol you're going to do. And then, you know, make sure you tag your recipes appropriately. I think one of the biggest or most popular, um, I guess one of the, the protocols that covers all the bases is the autoimmune protocol, AIP. And there's a ton of, I mean, a huge community out there for AIP diets. Um, one of the um, people like, you know, I would say like the godmothers of AIP is Dr. Sarah Ballantyne and she blogs at the Paleo Mom. So she would be a, re- a great resource to go to her website to like find the rules and then apply accordingly if you were creating AIP recipes. You know, there's over like 50 million Americans with autoimmune disease and more people being diagnosed every day. So this is a growing niche. You know, it's still a niche, but it's growing and it's growing rapidly. So that's definitely where that's, you know, where I operate in the autoimmune space. And creating recipes for AIP or Whole30, which again is its own type of elimination protocol, a lot more popular. Again, very specific rules for Whole30 recipes. And we do see a lot of Whole30 recipes online, which sometimes break the rules. Like they have, I think they changed the, the, the rule now, but they had a thing called sex with your pants on, like Swipo. So essentially, while Whole30 is paleo, but paleo pancakes would not be Whole30 because there's, you know, there's no breads or pancakes or treats allowed, right? So um, things like that. And, and it, it's important to, if you, if you make, you know, a grain free, dairy free, sugar free, whatever pancake or muffin or bread, it's not whole 30 compliant. If you tag it whole 30. And like you mentioned, the authority, you kind of lose people's trust. Cause you're like, Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, that's not accurate. Yeah. Okay. So whole 30, if somebody wanted to have a resource to kind of know what those rules are, where would they go for that? So Whole30.com has a ton of stuff online. And the interesting thing with Whole30 is that it's a business that um, Melissa Urban, who's the founder, really grew because of bloggers taking it and creating free resources for the Whole30 program. And people, uh, bloggers are totally allowed to make Whole30 compliant recipes, tag them Whole30. You know, there's entire blogs out there that revolve around the Whole30 model. And they're very successful because every January and every September, millions of people do Whole30s and the SEO is really good for that. However... Um, what's interesting with that is because they are trademark, you cannot create any resources that you make money off of and use the whole 30 term. So you cannot sell a whole 30 ebook. Oh, gotcha. Uh, but you can write you a can whole just, 30 content on your blog. Yeah. A hundred percent and make revenue from your ads. Yes. But not like in directly selling it. Um, and you know, the, there is a benefit to niching down with these kind of like, you know, um, protocols, right. Or allergen friendly type recipes is that, you know, while there might not be as many people looking for them, it's going to be a very specific search, you know, so whether it's, you know, nut free recipes or grain free nut free, like nut free paleo or dairy free keto, you know, there's so many different combinations. And even within the bigger umbrellas of plant based, or, you know, paleo or keto, you can then go into people who do those diets, and then have further have more. So gluten free vegan, 
nut-free paleo, dairy-free keto, uh, you know, nightshade-free paleo or whatever. It can just really niche down and down and down. And sometimes you might find yourself like you did, Megan, with your husband's diet, with your own dietary needs at home and think, well, how am I going to, you know, I don't want to be making food for the blog and food for the family completely separate and that's exhausting or too much work. There's always a way to, to build it into your business model because there's going to be someone out there who's going to benefit from that. Um, I personally can't eat nightshades among a few other things, but nightshades include tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, and peppers. So you can imagine how many Wow, it's it is interesting, isn't it? Once you find that there's an allergy or a sensitivity, how creative you can start getting. Like with my husband's issue, oh my gosh, I couldn't buy a sauce, so I was like, okay, fine, I'm gonna just make my own sauces, and I started putting those sauces on the blog. And guess what? Those sauces are my most not I wouldn't say like the most popular, but they're in the top ten, a handful of them. I never would have guessed that. So you never know what can come from this and just getting creative and experimenting. And then like you said, you don't want to do double duty and make, uh, you know, buy a sauce from the store and then make one, just make it and share it with the family and put it in your recipes. And you never know what's going to come of it. Absolutely. I mean, if you have the need, I guarantee you, so do many people else out there. You know, I saw I was a restaurant chef before I was a food blogger. And when I found out all my, when I discovered all my food intolerances and really I realized that that the foods that certain foods like nightshades and gluten and dairy were causing my autoimmune disease to, to react. So I took them all out and I thought I'm never going to work in a kitchen again. Like I cannot, you can't work in a restaurant kitchen if you don't eat tomatoes. And so I thought, you know, this is the end of my cooking career. But then my friends like start a blog and I was like, what's a blog? Anyway, that was a long time ago, obviously. And it's incredible. I mean, not only do I have a whole website, a blog with hundreds of recipes, but two very successful cookbooks, all nightshade free. And I don't necessarily market them as nightshade free, but I do do a lot of AIP recipes, which are also nightshade free. And you'd be surprised the number of people that find me just because they also have nightshade intolerances. And it's, it's crazy because again, you think I'd never in a million years would have thought a nightshade free cookbook, you know, like would interest people, but there's always a need out there. So share it because someone else is going through it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, this really does provide an opportunity for people to niche down into really specific, unique ways. There are like you just went through a bunch of variants of like, you know, combinations of diets and gluten free and whatever, fill in the blank. It really is an opportunity for food bloggers, I think, especially if you've got a need in your home where you need to cook differently see that as an opportunity to slide into a really specific niche. So you mentioned keto. Okay. I'm just, I wrote down a few of the things you mentioned like keto, paleo, gluten free, dairy free. Do you have resources for those as far as like learning how to adhere to those diets as well? Absolutely. So a keto, you know, keto is obviously very popular right now. A lot of people know keto. It's the low carb, high fat, you know, while there isn't like an, a major authority on keto and there's lots of variations, typically it just, you know, keto is about the macros. So, you know, re- most re- recipes that are less than 10 grams of carbs per serving um, and higher in fat can be classified as a keto, keto recipe. And the interesting thing with keto is that it's, be, it's more about the macronutrient ratio. So there are recipes that are online that are keto that have gluten and even, you know, all sorts of recipes. But there's a lot of people who follow a ketogenic diet who then want to do it through like a paleo lens or like a grain-free lens or gluten-free, right? Um, and then on top of that, there's a lot of people who do keto who can't have dairy. And when you look online for most keto recipes, 
a lot of cheese, sour cream, mozzarella, it becomes like the base of people's recipes because it's really easy to make things low carb using cheese, really delicious things. But like for myself, when I started going lower carb and I can't eat cheese, I, I felt like there were almost no resources online for me. So I started creating dairy-free keto recipes and and I did it for long enough where I created a guide for like how to do dairy-free keto. It's one of my top performing posts on my blog because there was a need out there for that and there weren't enough resources. So um, again, you can go to my website for that blog post. But again, if you want to do a keto recipe, doesn't matter how you cook, you just want to look at the macros. So it's really easy. There's websites like ketogenic.com or the diet doctor, um, who's like a Scandinavian doctor who has this website, but he's a pretty good resource for those kind of things. So that's more about the macronutrient ratios. And within that um, big umbrella of these low carb recipes, you could literally niche, niche down, like way down, like vegan keto, like, you know, paleo keto, dairy free keto, nut free keto, nitrogen free keto. Um, there's so many different ways to do it. And, and again, if you have a need in your home or even within your audience, if you start polling your audience and people are asking you for a specific thing, run with it because, you know, it might not be something that lands on like a lot of searches, but on a very specific search, you can get on that first Google page easily when you like, when you fill in a very specific need. Can you explain the paleo diet just really briefly? Yes. So paleo diet is essentially an ancestral template. And it was originally like, you know, I guess invented by uh, Dr. Lauren Cordain. Um, Rob Wolf um, also had a hand in it. And essentially what the paleo diet is supposed to mimic is like what, what, you know, what cavemen ate, right? So nothing processed. So if it roamed on the earth or grows from the earth, you can eat it. So it's grain free, meaning no rice or, you know, gluten or, you know, barley, wheat. Um, it's dairy free for the most part, although that's, you know, there's the primal paleo, which allows some like raw dairy and stuff. And, um, it's, it's essentially like, I would say plants and animals is the easiest way to put it. But then you can use like coconut flour, almond flour, like all those grain free, um, baking flours. And, um, you know, they don't use cane sugar. So everything's like coconut sugar or maple syrup, but the biggest things is grain free and dairy free. So lots of tubers. Oh, and no legumes. So like no beans either. Um, Let's take a really quick break to talk about a service I'm really excited to share with you. As a food blogger, you've got so much on your plate. You are busy developing recipes, taking photos, writing posts, managing social media, and all of the other things. You work hard to help your readers live a more delicious life. Even though you enjoy working in your business, I think we all do it because we love it, your to-do list is probably a mile long. You know what I'm talking about. And maybe there are certain things you'd rather not deal with such as writing. If writing is not your cup of tea, you do not have to go it alone. Heather Eberly is a content writer for food brands. She uses copywriting and marketing techniques to grow your business so you can focus on doing the things you love. If you want to gain Google traction, stand out from the crowd, and take your income to the next level, Heather can help you. Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to get more information about Heather's services. And as a bonus for eBlog Talk listeners, all projects booked during January 2022 will receive a 20% discount. Again, go to eblogtalk.com forward slash resources and click on Heather's link. Mention that Megan sent you to receive your discount. And now let's get back to the episode. And under that big paleo umbrella, you get a lot of little subsets of like Whole30 is, you know, essentially a trademarked 
like challenge slash elimination diet, but is it's paleo. It's paleo by another name. Like someone was really smart and was like trademarked a clean paleo diet and made a bundle on that. And then there's people who do keto, but under the paleo umbrella as well, where they follow those principles of grain-free, dairy-free, no legumes. And then the autoimmune protocol or autoimmune paleo is an autoimmune elimination diet that follows the paleo principles of grain-free, dairy-free, and then also omits other foods like eggs, uh, nuts, seeds, coffee, chocolate, you know, binders, sweeteners, all, anything processed. Um, and the premise of the, the, the purpose of the autoimmune protocol is that it omits foods that have high anti-nutrient content and keeps in foods that are really nutrient dense. And the goal is to heal the gut and um, find out trigger foods for, for autoimmune disease. Is there a good resource to go for all of that paleo information? The, the paleo mom, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, uh, she's a very good resource. She's been putting out information on, on the autoimmune protocol and just paleo at large for many, many years. Um, Rob Wolf has a lot of obviously, you know, um, he's kind of one of the founders of, of paleo, um, online as well. Um, Dr. Lauren Cordain, um, as well. So you can find kind of the parameters for paleo, um, online and, and different many resources. Okay. So I'm going to put these all in the show notes because I can imagine if there's a blogger listening who wants to kind of dig into this and just being like, well, I don't even know where to go. So I want to be able to have a place where people can go and just kind of click over and find reputable, trustworthy resources. So I really appreciate you talking me through all this. I feel like I absolutely know nothing about this. So thank you for being patient. And then gluten-free, I think is pretty obvious and dairy-free is obvious. Um, is there anything we're missing? So we have AIP, autoimmune, Whole30, keto, paleo, gluten-free, dairy-free. Is there anything else? So there's other ones that I personally don't dabble in as much, but I'm aware that they're a thing. Um, I just feel like eating that way would be miserable. Um, so I don't do it. But there's, so there's specific carbohydrate diet, which um, eliminates certain carbs. And so unless things usually that are more starchy. Um, and then there's the GAPS diet. And, um, that also eliminates like higher FODMAP or starchy foods. And then there's just the low FODMAP diet, which would be like eliminate onions and garlic. And it's sad. So I don't do it because onions and garlic are life. So, but even those are very specific protocols that people use a lot of times for like, um, candida overgrowth or like I, people with IBS do FODMAP and FODMAP is actually growing to the point where there's a brand called foodie with a Y that's like in most stores now and like even roused like tomato, like tomato sauce made like a low FODMAP version because low FODMAP is a diet that's been, um, like conventional medicine. Like a lot of gastroenterologists like will use that, will tell their patients with IBS or IBD to try a low FODMAP diet. So, um, that one's a little more mainstream and, and again, creating resources for that could be a great way to niche down and I did want to mention with paleo, what's interesting is I bet almost every blogger listening has at least one recipe on their blog that's already paleo. They just didn't even know it. You know, like I bet you have a salad recipe or like a recipe that's like grilled veggies with like a cashew cream, you know, something like that, that's, that's already paleo and it's on your blog and you just didn't know. And it might not be tagged that way, but it could be good to like add those tags. So they're searchable for people looking for those recipes. That is such a great recommendation. I did that to a couple of my recipes a 
couple of years ago, I did the Whole30 diet for one month just to see what it was like. So I really dug into it, read the book, um, immersed myself in that world for a month. And then, of course, I had to eat that way. So I was taking pictures. I'm like, well, I might as well put this on the blog. So I did. But then I was thinking, like, I might have other recipes that adhere to the diet that I didn't even know. So I combed through. And sure enough, I did. And I tagged them that way. And guess what happened? They went crazy bonkers like they are some of my most popular content so go through your stuff and either find whole 30 or paleo like christina said and maybe just experiment with putting some h2s in with the word paleo or whole 30 or whatever and see what happens right i feel like that's kind of gold so the whole moral of the story here is that there is a need to be a resource for these diets and maybe even a combination of these diets. So think through that. Even if you have no desire to um, niche down into these diets, at least experiment with maybe one or two of your existing recipes just to see if it takes off because you never know. Christina, what do you think about when you make food? This is kind of along the same lines, but a little bit different. Something that I've gotten into trouble with in the past, um, making foods with maybe unique ingredients that you're not familiar with that are supposed to go into like a certain cultural dish. And then people get really mad at you if you use like the wrong kind of tomatoes or the wrong kind of spices. How do you deal with that sort of thing? So it's it's such a touchy subject, right? Because there's a lot of like, you know, with food and like cultural appropriation and people get like you know, upset about a lot of things. And I definitely understand, you know, that there are a lot of bloggers, like, so I'm Cuban, right? And like, there's a lot of people, especially in the paleo space, that do a lot of Cuban recipes, because they're very easy to be whole 30, you know, or paleo, because we use a lot of like, plantains and tubers and things like that. And as long as someone's like, making it right, and like, it's tasty, you know, and it's for like, I think like, great, more resources. Um, you know, I myself, again, with the nightshade intolerance, like I can't use tomato sauce. So even if I'm making a dish that is Cuban, that is of my culture, I have to swap out a ton of ingredients to make it, you know, edible and healthy for my body and my family. And I've, you know, I have gotten comments before about like, oh, well, it's not authentic. And I'm like, well, you know, my grandmother and who's, you know, watching me from heaven would rather have me feel good than make it the way she made it and get sick. So, you know, like I think that especially when it comes to tweaking recipes for food allergies, people have to understand that, you know, a long time ago, these weren't even a thing, but food intolerances and food allergies and autoimmune disease are more and more prevalent and more and more people are dealing with it. So having variations and uh, tweaks to recipes to make them safe for others to eat, I think is honoring that culture. And, you know, I, for example, like I, one time I had someone who, I have a recipe for like a sticky cauliflower rice. That's kind of like a sushi rice. And someone was like, Oh my gosh, it's an abomination. Like that. And I'm like, I, I don't necessarily expect someone who's, you know, like Japanese to make this, but if someone who wants to make sushi at home, who can't have rice for some reason, this is an option for them, you know, and it's not, and you know, it's not meant to be offensive in any way. And I would never claim for to, that it's authentic in any way. It is a version of something that's an option for someone with a specific need. And it's easy to state that inside of a post, right? I mean, you can explain that and say, I have a need to create the sauce because I can't have XYZ. And if anyone takes the time to read that, they're going to understand I definitely understand how, you know, having the idea that, oh, this is supposed to be authentic and you are insulting my cultural dish. I get that. 
but at the same time, I, I mean, I see your side too. Like you sometimes have to adapt and it goes back to what we were saying earlier about being creative. Sometimes you just need to get creative if you have some of these food intolerances. So it's kind of a gray area. It's really hard to navigate because people can get really, really upset about this. Absolutely. One way that I found that I think covers all the bases and honors the like authentic recipe and even maybe someone like of that culture, a creator. So, you know, I have a friend, her you know, Jean, and she blogs at uh, What Great Grandma Ate and, you know, she's Korean. And, you know, I made a recipe for um, like a whole 30 beef bulgogi on my blog. And what I did is that I talked about, you know, the history of the dish and what it means and why I changed it the way I changed it and the reasons for. I also then tagged you know linked Jean and her blog and her recipe her version of it that's authentic in the blog post you know if you're looking for a korean creator who creates an authentic bulgogi dish right check out my friend Jean. she's amazing you know here's her recipe you know if you have intolerances like me and can't have soy or whatever here's my recipe you know this is the version i have it and i talked about like why i love korean food when i was in san diego my friend lisa who's korean would take us out you know to eat korean barbecue that kind of thing so i think there's ways to honor that you know i remember one time there was a creator who um has a really big page this person absolutely loves cuban food is always cooking cuban food and and, and playing, playing cuban music in their stories and one time they made a recipe and they shared it and it was like super wrong. And a lot of people in the comments were like really upset. And I kind of went to defend him until I realized how he was being like very like, like there's someone saying, this is my cultural dish that you're not, they're not doing it right. Like, let me tell you how I'm like completely disregarding the people. I'm like, that's not cool. Like, listen to people. Like you can at least listen and say, I understand what you're saying. I know this isn't absolutely right, but just say maybe why you made it different. So I think there's ways to handle it. You know, um, like I, I have an Indian, uh, butter chicken on my rest on my blog that I don't use any kind of, I make on my own, you know, I, I use a change the spices cause of the nightshades. Um, I changed, you know, I use ghee, which I guess is authentic, but you know, coconut milk, I changed some of the recipes and I made it in the pressure cooker and someone's like, well, that's not authentic. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. It's not, but the result is a very tasty dish. And I actually have a lot of people who follow me who are from India, who have the same like autoimmune skin condition that I do. And these recipes also help them. So, um, I'm not claiming it to be authentic. I'm just here to, to help people give them an option. You made a really great point. It's about how you deal with it and like how you present it and then deal with it. If people have an issue with it. It's all about that. And if somebody still has an issue after that, then it's probably more likely their issue. But right. if you can't please everyone. Yeah, but as a blogger, it is our responsibility to explain why we're doing something. And if people bring it to the to our attention that we're doing it wrong, then we need to handle that in the right way. And if we don't, then that's on us. And this is like again, such a gray area and which is why it's good to talk about it. And I'm sure that you have thought through this many times. So we really appreciate all this. If somebody is listening and they're like, oh, this sounds really intriguing and they don't necessarily have any food allergies that they have to adhere to or anything like that, how do they get started? Would you recommend doing what you said earlier just with going through their existing content and maybe changing up a few of their posts or how would, what would you recommend? So a really good way is to right go through existing content and well, first of all, pick your niche, like, you know, go through and think, you know, I don't know, maybe you can do it through SEO searches or like, 
maybe type in maybe some of your top performing posts and then add like paleo at the end, like, you know, your recipe name title and paleo or vegan or keto and see if, you know, there's anything that would come up where you're like, Oh, this is worth kind of, you know, niching down into this. And what you can do is you don't necessarily have to change your recipe, but you could add recipe modification notes that would make it paleo or keto or vegan or AIP, which is a great way to add that option to your recipe without changing the one that your readers already love. But then, you know, kind of using your existing like SEO, but to then also get gather, you know, get new people on there being like, oh, yeah, I could look, I could easily make this dairy free. I could easily make this gluten free, you know, and then that way you open up to like so many more people. Mm, That's a really good recommendation, too. Um, so if you're looking to get started, I'd say take that advice. If you do have an intolerance or a sensitivity with you or someone in your family, then use that as a way in and just start incorporating those recipes into your existing content. And hopefully it aligns with your existing niche. But I think there's a lot of ways to get in the door with this and it can only benefit you. I mean, I just told you earlier that I have a handful, like probably five or less Whole30 recipes on my blog. And my blog is not a diet blog at all, but they've done really well. So you just never know. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And it's something that if you're personally going through it, even talking about that with your readers, you're going to be surprised how people are like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to, or maybe, maybe like they might start experimenting with that or they might know someone, you know? So um, even opening up like over the course of the last few years, like my blog is started very AIP or whole 30. And then I went through a phase where I did like, I personally was eating keto for many years. So I then started sharing a ton of keto recipes, you know, and then I've added carbs back into my diet. So now, and it's okay. Like it's really kind of, I'm always sharing and creating recipes and sharing them on my blog with what I'm personally doing at any given moment. And sometimes, you know, I think people really appreciate that they can kind of follow that journey and realize that we're not static and our needs change over time. And then in that way that there's something for everybody there. So just because I have a super comforting comfort food blog does not mean that I always have to post that sort of content. I love that. So my journey can look like, yes, somebody who eats like crap all the time and then occasionally does the Whole30 diet. And I think a lot of people can align with that. And as you were talking, I was thinking, oh my gosh, how cool would it be to go on Instagram now or when the new year's upon us and just say, look what I did a few years ago. I did the whole 30 diet. Are you guys going to try this? Like that would be a good way to kind of introduce, reintroduce some existing content, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, and with whole 30 specifically, because they do their own, like they kind of get people into their marketing and their following get million, I think thousands, if not millions of people, they do January and September, the big whole 30 months. So if you have whole 30 content, January and September is a time to push it out, you know, because it's going to do really, really well. Um, and yeah, you can pick up a call and say, look, when I was, I tried gluten-free for like a month, a while back and put out a newsletter and link all your gluten-free recipes and share it on social media. And you'd be surprised how many people are going to be like, Oh yeah, let me try this or share that with a friend who's gluten-free. If they already trust you and your content, they're going to take that and share it with someone who they know needs it. I'm inspired, Christina. I'm like <laughs> thinking of all of my Whole30 recipes that I'm going to revive today. So I really love this conversation. Is there anything we've missed? Um, I think we've covered a lot of it. Um, I think the one thing to also remember is that, you know, when you're creating these recipes and you're, you might get people that, people with food intolerance or chronic illness 
are your different audience than just a typical foodie who wants to go make your delicious decadent triple layer chocolate cake. You know, these are people who might not feel well, right? They might be in pain. They might be really fatigued. And so it's a little bit, um, not riskier per se, but you have an audience who's going to come back. They're going to leave comments. You know, if you like, there's a need there. And, and, and I think there's a higher, there's a higher responsibility to make sure that you're not going to waste their time and you're not going to make them sick. So when you delve into this food as medicine or healing protocol, recipe development, understand that literally, literally like people's quality of life is in your hands. So take that very seriously. Oh, that was very power, powerful and well said. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. This was such a just, I feel like valuable chat that we all needed to dig into a little bit more. So we appreciate all your expertise. Clearly you have done so much research and you've thought through a lot of this. So thank you so much for being here today, Christina. Yeah, my pleasure. Great conversation. It was awesome being here, Megan. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share before we say goodbye? You know, one thing with content creators that I see a lot is the kind of like um, analysis paralysis. Um, and don't let that stop you. You know, you don't have to be an expert in Whole30 to be to put out a Whole30 recipe. Just do your due diligence, but um, don't let like, you know, that fear of perfection stop you from creating content. Great final takeaway. Thank you for sharing that. Your show notes can be found at eatblogtalk.com forward slash the castaway kitchen, Christina. So if anyone wants to go peek at those, again, I will put all of those resources we talked about. If you are looking to dig into any of the specific diets a little bit further, you can go find those at her show notes page. Tell everyone where they can best find you online, social media, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So my blog is thecastawaykitchen.com and I have tons of recipes from all of the kind of diets we talked about today. Um, on social media, on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, I'm at the Castaway Kitchen and my TikTok, which is so weird. I feel like I'm like an old person on there, but it's actually blown up recently. And that, but that one's actually my name. So it's Christina underscore Maria underscore Kerp. Um, and yeah, I'm on there a lot talking about, you know, autoimmune disease and he- food to heal. So you can come learn some stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Christina, for being here. And thank you so much for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.